0: Previously on the Main Street Chronicles Our adventurers went on a goodwill tour to South America Only to discover that it truly is a small world after all With the help of the art of legendary Imagineer Mary Blair Little do they know that they are about to break out On an otherworldly adventure like none other Stay tuned as they discover the wonderful worlds Created by legendary Imagineer Joe Rody.
1: Perry, have you come to grips with the five-legged goat yet? I need to make sure because you are about to see things that you never thought were possible. Oh, absolutely. Nothing can shock me or surprise me now. Well then, let me introduce you to the worlds created by Joe Rody. Um, I was wrong.
2: I don't even know what to, to say. I uh, don't know.
1: Oh, Perry. Maybe you should sit down. This adventure will open your eyes to new worlds. So you better be ready. Perry? Oh, he'll be fine. He better be. I am sure that you both know what this is. It's the, it's the Disco Yeti. Actually, this is a fully functioning Yeti from Expedition Everest at Disney's Animal Kingdom. Did you know that the Yeti is the largest and most complex audio animatronic ever built by Walt Disney Imagineering? It is 25 feet tall. Turn on the disco ball to learn more about Expedition Everest.
3: Disney attractions have been marked by exhaustive research and meticulous attention to detail from the very beginning. But Expedition Everest took that philosophy to new heights of immersion. Joe Rohde, project coordinator Chris Kelly, and architect Stefan Helwig all made early scouting trips to the Himalayas, absorbing the region's culture, architecture, and horticulture, as well as investigating the Yeti legend. Other Imagineers joined Joe's team on later expeditions, along with bona fide scientists and researchers. That aspect of the project along with two subsequent expeditions launched between August and October 2005 by Disney and Conservation International and dubbed Mission Himalayas, resulted in a Discovery Network's TV special entitled Everest, Journey to Sacred Lands, perhaps the ultimate testament to the validity of their research. I've always believed in taking the Imagineers to real places and giving them real experiences, Joe recalls. And in this case, Imagineers journeyed to Nepal several times, immersing themselves in the legends, lore, and heart of the place. The Himalayan culture is full of ritualized architecture, encouraging great harmony and structure. It's all very symbolic. The goal was to create an authentically detailed environment that reflected the culture and traditions of the Himalayan countries we explored during our research. Touching the prayer wheels, hearing the tonal spectrum of bells worn by animals, and seeing how the local people applied color to their homes left a deep impression on us. That experience allowed us to approach the project with an insight and authenticity we could only attain by being there. Of the initial research
0: trips and the later Mission Himalayas expeditions, our interests were both cultural and biological, Joe says. We concentrated on areas where the legend of the Yeti persists, the Khumbu and the Makalu Baran regions of Nepal, home of the Sherpa and the Posha people, and the Tibetan cultural regions of southwest China. These areas combine the folk traditions of the Yeti with areas of great biological value. The Yeti's traditional role as protector of the sacred has been integral to preservation in this region. By examining these beliefs, we can learn more about how traditional attitudes encourage conservation behavior. By searching for undiscovered animals and plants under the banner of the ultimate undiscovered creature, we reinforce what Himalayan people have known for centuries,
3: that all life deserves respect, compassion, and a place in the world. Expedition Everest, Legend of the Forbidden Mountain, is a steel roller coaster built by Vekoma at Disney's Animal Kingdom. The ride is themed around the yeti protecting the Forbidden Mountain next to Mount Everest. The 2011 edition of Guinness World Records lists Expedition Everest as the most expensive roller coaster in the world. Including sets and extras, its total cost was reported to be $100 million for six years of planning and construction. It held this record up until 2019. It is the tallest artificial mountain in all of the Walt Disney Parks and Disney's 18th mountain-themed attraction.
0: During their visit to Nepal, Joe and his team interviewed the Rinpoche, a holy man known as the Living Buddha, about the Yeti. I asked the Living Buddha point-blank what he thought the Yeti was, Joe says. He replied that it was two things at once, a real animal and an immortal, a deity. Imagineers hiked deep into the Qinling Mountain Preserve near Qian, China, which is home to the Golden Monkey an animal that would ultimately provide much of the inspiration for the design team's interpretation of the Yeti. There are very few cold-climate primates in the world, Joe explains. Among them, the snow monkeys in Japan, which look more or less like the rhesus monkeys in Kathmandu. The golden monkey is a snub-nosed langur that is much more dramatic-looking Is another. These were the inspiration for our Yeti. Strange, haunting faces covered in hair everywhere but in the smallest areas around the unfathomable dark eyes and nose. They have no nasal tissue, which may have been an adaptation to the cold winter snows, but it also makes them look spooky. They are a perfect model of a cold climate primate. Seeing these rare animals in their native habitat gave the Imagineers a unique insight into how a much larger version of such a creature might look and behave in this remote, mountainous region of the world. Our Yeti would be a huge, scary version of one of these monkeys, if they were actually an ape, Joe says. They have a cape of long hair on their backs, like a colobus monkey, and we've incorporated this detail into the myth as well.
3: The Yeti, which as we've said is the largest and most complex audio animatronic figure ever built by Walt Disney Imagineering, is 25 feet tall. Its skin measures 1000 square feet and is held in place by 1000 snaps and 250 zippers. Its movement is controlled by 19 actuators when functioning in A mode, its full mode of operation. In A mode, it can move 5 feet horizontally and 18 inches vertically. A few months after the ride opened in 2006, the Yeti figure's framing split, and since then, it has been operated only in the alternative B mode, in which a strobe light effect is used to give the appearance of movement, earning it the nickname Disco Yeti. The mountain
0: facade, the Yeti audio-animatronic, and the roller coaster are three independent structures. Each structure reaches the ground level and does not touch the other two structures. Joe was asked about the Yeti at the 2013 D23 Expo, and Joe responded, You have to understand, it's a giant complicated machine sitting on top of, like a 46-foot tall tower, in the middle of a finished building. So, it's really hard to fix. But we're working on it. And we continue to work on it. We've tried several things, none of them quite get to the key. But we're working on it. I will fix the Yeti someday, I swear. As we've mentioned throughout the season, Walt Disney pushed his artists and then Imagineers to immerse themselves into the subject that they were trying to portray. I think that there could be no greater example than this one right here, as the level of research was so good that a documentary was created just
3: on the journey of the Imagineers for Expedition Everest. And that research is really brought to life in an amazing way when you look at the details that go into not just this attraction, but the queue for it in general, too. I mean, the queue in and of itself I think is an attraction. It really helps tell the story. And that story isn't necessarily right in your face the entire time, but it really, really does help immerse the guests. So whether it's taking the cultural things that they learned from their trips and kind of placing them in there, like the superstition of the Yeti, or even some like religious artifacts that might be around there. Or if you're picking up like the mountain climbing gear and the signage that you see in there really helps tell that storyline as well.
0: It really does. And I love the museum of the Yeti, even though it's a fictional museum. And depending on which side you go in, you're going to see different parts of the museum. Whether you're going through single rider or you're going through the fast pass or the regular standby line, you're going to see different things throughout. And one thing that adds to that level of authenticity is if you look up and around, all of the gear, all of the artifacts you're going to see are original. They were used on Everest. They were actually brought back from this expedition. So I think that really adds to a level of authenticity that, again, we've said it a million times. Only Disney can create this kind of environment, this kind of atmosphere. And the level that they take it to is, not to sound redundant, but in a completely different level
3: than anybody else does in the market. It really is insane, and I'm glad you brought up the fictional Yeti Museum there, because it looks real enough that it fooled my brother into believing that all that stuff actually was real, too. Even the pictures of the Yeti. Obviously, we were just talking about the queue with all of that. But this level of immersion and detail extends into the ride itself. So, again, as you're starting to head up that main lift hill, you go through that... I guess I would call it like a temple-like structure. And again, there's lots of different religious and superstitious artifacts in there, which again, plays into the local culture and the local people that lived there. You can really see, again, that attention to detail playing out here. But also, I would like to mention the attention to detail that went into the Yeti animatronic itself. So looking at that, and obviously we've kind of read through it so far, but you see the Yeti animatronic for what half a second as you're kind of just blazing by. But the amount of detail that they put into that, that thing is massive. It's huge. And on top of that, the fur on it's matted like it's been walking through the snow and things like that. It really just makes it like a much better experience. Like if you don't know that's coming, that could be something terrifying.
0: Oh yeah. And even if you know it's coming, it still brings that level of disbelief like this may not be a real creature, but it's a real being right there in front of you. And Disney again outdid themselves and hopefully one day we'll be able to have fully functioning a mode, but they took it to a whole nother level. And I know with the shaman that they created for the Navi river journey, that that's now the most complex. This is still the biggest and it's still so incredibly impressive on what they were able to create to help bring this fictional and this mythical beast to life and saying mythical, this is. Actually, probably the closest thing we're going to get to Beastly Kingdom in Disney's Animal Kingdom. The unbuilt land at Disney's Animal Kingdom that is now where Pandora the World of Avatar, sits. This was going to be one of the cornerstones where it would be both extinct, existing and mythical creatures throughout Disney's Animal Kingdom. So I think that that's really cool that they were able to create that as well. Wow.
4: I had no idea that they went to such lengths to research the
1: culture. And here I thought it. it was just an amazing roller coaster. Research and immersion is something that Walt Disney himself stressed to his artists and Imagineers. He wanted them to always get a true sense of how to best tell the story that they were trying to tell, and they needed to explore and visit the locales that they were trying to recreate. Unfortunately, this next location we will explore is not a place that can be visited anywhere on our world. In fact, it can only be explored in one man's imagination. That man is Academy Award-winning director James Cameron. Welcome to Pandora, the world of Avatar. As you enter this recreation of Navi River Journey's queue, you will see someone waiting for you to tell you the story told within this world. Hey, where's Perry? I don't know. Hey guys, look at this! it's the navi shaman has she said anything to you yet she isn't real are you sure my boy you best turn around
2: in the world what did she just say
4: oh beautiful forest there are tears in the forest wood sprite we cry out calling oh awa connected as one oh great mother wood sprite we cry out calling oh awa by the people's will the forest is singing wood sprite we cry out calling oh
1: awa Oh, my dear, your Navi is quite good. Um, what just happened here? You could understand her?
4: Well, I have been studying the language since the land opened at Disney's Animal
1: Kingdom. That is quite impressive. Maybe you will learn something new from our historians. Let's listen in.
0: Pandora the World of Avatar is designed by Walt Disney Imagineering and Lightstorm Entertainment with Avatar producers James Cameron and John Landau acting as creative consultants. Imagineer Joe Rohde, creative executive of Disney's Animal Kingdom, served as creative director for the project. Instead of including characters or basing the land on existing plot lines from the films, the team emphasized issues such as conservation and environmental stewardship. Joe cited the film's themes and environmental message as compatible to the park's established values. Joe said, If you think about the intrinsic value of nature, transformation through adventure, and personal call to action, these are the values of Animal Kingdom. But if you say them again, those are the
3: themes of the film Avatar. So Avatar and Animal Kingdom will nest into each other very, very neatly. Joe went on to say that Animal Kingdom is a place about the kind of realism that derives from those animals. We really wanna live up to that state of realism, to the detail, to the complete immersion which is part of the signature of that park, to the sense that these are events that are really happening to you. That is your adventure. When we translate that into the world of Avatar, it presents a whole new series of technical challenges because of the very nature of that world itself. In September 2011, Cameron confirmed that a flying attraction featuring 3D projections and creature designs that were cut from the original film was a concept on the drawing board for the area. Pandora, the world of Avatar includes elements from the original Avatar film as well as its four yet-to-be-released sequels joe initially admitted difficulty in adapting the locations depicted in avatar to the physical realm as pandora is portrayed in the films solely through computer generated imagery therefore imagineering adapted the concept art and digital designs from the film and expanded upon it with joe explaining that there was not enough detail in those images for an actual place that you're really going to build when the idea of building a Land themed around Pandora was first announced a lot of people in the Disney community were pretty skeptical of it How does it fit into animal kingdom was one of the biggest questions that was brought up, but now that it's here and it's been here for a few years It just works is the best way I can put it I was one of those that was skeptical and every time I visit it I'm kind of just blown away and it really again. I keep bringing this up, especially with Joe Rohde I think it really comes down to The level of immersion that you feel as soon as you walk in there, it really feels like you're in a completely separate world, a completely separate theme park, even from Animal Kingdom. And I think that's really just next level planning, next level storytelling and next level immersion there from the Imagineers.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And through the research, even found that even Joe was skeptical of it. And I, like you, was like, what in the world? Why is this coming to Animal Kingdom? It's not a Disney property. And now, fast forward years later, it is a Disney property. Now that Disney owns Fox. But I went right after it opened, and I thought it was absolutely amazing. I thought Flight of Passage was, at the time, the most amazing ride ever created. Still is in my top five. Navi River Journey, I was underwhelmed. I thought it could be better, but the shaman was absolutely amazing. I thought that they could have found a way to incorporate real animals somehow into the land like they did even with Dinoland USA with the American crocodiles. So I was a little disappointed with that. But then when I walked through it at night, that was when I was blown away. When the bioluminescence and all the neon came to life, it really transported me to Pandora, to the Moara Valley. And it just, we say it jokingly, in Joe we trust, because if it wasn't for Joe, who knows what would have happened with this project, but because Joe was the one who led this project, we kind of were able to rest easier knowing that it was in good hands, and that it would be done right by the right team to put this project out there in the way that it needed to be portrayed. So it's a continuation of the films, and then it even goes so far as the cast of the Future films are being brought to Pandora, the world of Avatar, to be able to be immersed into the land and the world that they're getting ready to act in. Like, I mean, that's just that's really cool. It just speaks to the level of detail that Joe and his team put in that James Cameron and John Landau feel so confident that they're willing to be able to bring their crew, bring their actors and actresses there. To learn about the backstory of Avatar for the
3: future films. I just think it's really cool. Both of the attractions there, I've said as soon as I wrote it too that Flight of Passage is the most unique experience I've ever had in a theme park. And again, that's just a testament to the great Imagineering that went into it. And every time I ride Navi River Journey, I fall more and more in love with it, right? I just love how the closer and closer you get, to that shaman and towards the end of the ride, how everything around you becomes more and more alive and definitely visiting it in the day versus visiting it at night 2 completely different experiences. And it's one that everybody has to do it both ways, go visit it at night, go, go visit it in the day. But again, like you said, just the immersion and the fact that they trust that land and think that land is so immersive that they bring the cast there again, just shows that attention to detail. I mean, when I'm there, I expect to look up and see Banshees flying over the floating mountains. That's how almost realistic this feels.
0: Yeah, I wish that they would have one up on the mountain. I mean, it makes the sounds and you hear the sounds, but it would be cool to see like an audio-animatronic Banshee head like pop out from one of the nooks of the floating mountains. But other than that, I mean, it's very well done and I'm looking forward to any possible expansion i think there's two expansion pads for the land and i'll be excited to see what comes with future films
4: oh my goodness i had no idea that it was such a collaborative effort from both disney and james cameron it just shows how something can be created when creative geniuses are at work
1: oh i couldn't agree more All of these things that we have here are great examples of individuals allowing their minds to wander and create sometimes crazy, (laughs) but always wonderful things. Are you ready to see the next artifact that we have? Yes, sir, what's next? Well, we will have to go back outside for you to see it. Hmm, I wonder what it could be. You have the tree of
2: life, whoa. Did you know that there are 325
1: living and extinct animal species carved into the trunk and roots of the tree? I did, actually. I was just getting ready to say that very thing. I am extremely impressed that you knew that, Perry. Perry? Oh, where did he go this time?
4: Not again. Oh well. What else can you tell me about
1: the Tree of Life? Well, there is one very important and very unique sculpture That I would like to point out. It's around here somewhere. Oh, here it is. It is so
4: beautiful and so lifelike. Why is this chimpanzee sitting all alone?
1: Well, after legendary conservationist Jane Goodall came to visit Disney's Animal Kingdom, Disney Imagineers felt it was appropriate to remember her and all that she has done for not just chimpanzees, but animals all over the world. So they decided to sculpt her most famous subject, David Graybeard, into the tree for all to see. Now it's an
4: honor to share this moment with someone who's known for her own commitment to conservation and truly she doesn't need any more of an introduction, Dr. Jane Goodall.
5: Well, thank you and good morning to everybody. How exciting it is for me to be back here to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Disney's Animal Kingdom, having been here 10 years ago when the well, uh, when the Animal Kingdom was first opened, and every time I come back, I feel this sense of gosh, if I was an animal out of my natural habitat, this is where I would like to be. <laughs> I feel so grateful to the Walt Disney Company and to the Animal Kingdom and all its wonderful, hard-working staff for providing such an amazing home for these animals i woke up this morning and outside my window there was a giraffe there some kudos that were some kudus, there were rowan and all of them just enjoying the early morning sun coming through the mist. what a way to wake up and how wonderful it is to be here with more than 100 young people and their mentors from our jay Goodall roots and shoots global youth organization and other youth organizations that share a similar philosophy. You see, see that always happens. So these young people are helping in, in conservation and humanitarian programs all around the world. The hundred who are here are representing hundreds and thousands of others. And many of our projects have been recipients of these grants from the what is it now called the the, what's the new worldwide conservation (laughs) foundation and we're really grateful it's helped us and will help us to do wonderful things so um it's i believe a place where everybody who comes will go away with a feeling that these animals here are special that they deserve our love, our care, that we do not want a world where these animals vanish entirely from the wild places, that we need to conserve the wild places, and to do that, we need to help people living in poverty in those areas. And all of those things are happening here. So I'm just so proud and grateful to be here, and I want to end up by, I'm sure that the chimpanzees, if they knew they would be wanting to congratulate you too because money has helped them. So I'm going to end up with a chimpanzee thank
2: you.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Finally, it's wonderful to be standing here with Joe Rohde. I remember sitting with Joe Rohde in the early days when the plans were being drawn up for this animal park. And now here we are today, uh, more than 10 years later, side by side, Joe
4: Rody. That is absolutely amazing. I am curious though, if you have the tree of life, does that mean you have, it's tough to be a bug as well?
1: We actually do. Come this way. This is where you can also listen to our historians share more stories of the Tree of Life as well. Would you like to learn more? Yes, please. Right this way. Here you go, my dear. Don't put your bug eyes on just yet.
4: Thank you. Oh, I love
1: this show. It is quite a nice show. It sure is a shame that Perry is going to miss it. Hey, hold the film. I'm coming.
4: This show contains loud noises, darkness, and special effects that might be too intense for some of our smaller guests. If at any time during the show you wish to exit the theater, please move to the doors on your left, and a cast member will be happy to assist you. Also, as a courtesy for our other bug guests, we kindly ask that there be no flash photography, videotaping, or cell phone usage during our show. Thank you. Now, on behalf of the millions and millions of bugs from around the world, we proudly present It's Tough to be a bug.
1: Roll the footage, please. And now, put
0: your wings together for the host of our show, everyone's favorite act, Flick! Fireflies!
1: Fireflies! Up here! Now, over
5: here. Way over here. Way over, a little more. Still A little more, oh.
1: little, less. Perfect. Oh, and hi, hi, hello, and, 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 and welcome.
3: Welcome to our show. You know, we've been doing this act for over 300 million years. And with bugs making up more than 80% of the animal world, we're the biggest cast of them all. Still, you guys just don't seem to see us. So, uh, that's why we gave you those special bug eyes. Now, go, go ahead, put, put them on huh? Yeah, the, now you're all honorary bucks. so, uh, on with the show! At the beginning of the coronavirus, Joe took to Instagram to give us a virtual tour of Disney's Animal Kingdom. The following is what he said about the Tree of Life. So, in the middle of the park is the centerpiece and icon, the Tree of Life, named for the old-fashioned 19th-century diagram of the interconnected spread of life. Because the park is dedicated to the themes of animals and their relationships to human, good and bad, we needed a non-architectural icon, something natural. Since nature is everywhere anyway, we also needed to signify that this place is exceptional, in some way magical. Thus, a strange tree. A tree whose body disappears under patient observation to become nothing but animals. A metaphor for the rewards nature can provide to the careful observer. But since we all know how it has been made, it is a work of art. It also signifies the intent to communicate, to tell a story. In fact, the tree promises two things. One, this place is a story place about animals. And two, this place is a designed place full of virtuoso accomplishments. Let's stay with the tree for a moment. If you pay attention to most of Disney's Animal Kingdom, you'll see that when you come upon animals, it is usually in the context of some story. In Africa, that story ultimately reflects upon the question of resources like ivory and rhino horn. Asia is chiefly concerned with habitat loss and habitat use and how animals and humans can live side by side. In Pandora, it is with pollution. So what is going on in front of the tree? When we originally chose animals just around the tree, we chose them for their physical diversity as demonstrations of the vast differences in shape as animals adapt to their various ecosystems. Kangaroos, porcupines, flamingos, macaws, each of these animals has strikingly unique adaptations. A marsupial deer with the body of a giant hare, a rodent with really pokey hair, a bird with an upside-down mouth, a giant parrot with nutcracker jaws, something is at work here, a principle of life. These are observations which can be made, but are not required. Because this is not an educational facility, per se, we want people to pursue ideas at their own pace as they might do in nature. My two boys took a walk yesterday in the nearby mountains. They noticed a number of red salamanders in the streams. That's because they were paying attention, and so they noticed. I'm sure others walked right by. Animal Kingdom is a bit like that. It's there for you with a lot of content, a lot of meaning, and a lot of research-based accuracy. You just have to look and ask. The Tree of Life is a metaphor that exists in the mythologies
0: of many cultures around the world. It is seen as a source of life and an emblem of symbiosis within the discovery island mythology the tree is supposed to have been the first thing here the village came to the tree it is the source of life and water for the village and discovery island and presumably the rest of animal kingdom as well centerpiece for disney's animal kingdom went through many iterations from one that almost came to be which was an endangered species carousel to what we have today And personally, I'm extremely glad that that idea was scrapped for the tree because the tree, in my opinion, is the absolute best centerpiece that could be used for this park. It completely encompasses the entire mission of the park at first sight. And upon further inspection, it continues to drive home the conservation message as you walk through its roots and discover each animal both living
3: and sculpted. Like you said, it really is the perfect visual icon for the park because as soon as people come in the park and kind of, walk out and see the reveal of the tree, they're just drawn to it. I'm sure a lot of people's first thought is, I want to climb that thing, which I think another one of the proposed ideas, it was like a little playground area, I believe, and people could climb on it. Obviously, that's a lawyer's nightmare, so they can never let that happen. But people are drawn to that, which is why I think it is neat that they do house, that it's tough to be a bug attraction there underneath the tree because it's something people want to go to it. They want to see it. They want to be able to touch it and walk around it and be close to it. And this is one of those icons for the parks that you can do that.
0: Yeah, and I absolutely love the fact that you can do that with this icon. And like you said, it started out being a icon that you could interact with and climb and actually go and use it as a platform to look out over the park. And then they came up with the idea of being able to put a theater in there. But when they had the original design, then going to putting the theater in there, they had to figure out how they were going to do it. So what they did was they actually took an old oil rig, flipped it upside down, and that is what the structure of the tree is. And it's so cool. You can watch videos online that show how they assembled it. And it was, you had the pipe, then you put the steel lathing around it, and the level of detail that they have in this tree is just One of the most amazing architectural things that I think has ever been created. The level of detail is just unbelievable.
3: Exactly, so it's not just an engineering marvel, but it really does work perfect as a centerpiece for Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom has such unique lands throughout it, and again, it really does serve as that centerpiece for all of these unique stories that you're gonna be getting yourself into.
0: It really does, and like we've already said, it's the hub that life flows from for Disney's Animal Kingdom
3: few bugs in it, but that's our show. And now that are all honorary bugs, remember, magnifying glasses are for looking at little things, not for burning little things. See ya. Hey. Hey, little fella. Where should you be? There. That's right. Good bug. Good little bug.
4: That was so amazing. I love that show, and now I love the Tree of Life Even
1: more. Go back inside and continue exploring the worlds Joe has created. Have a look at this. This is a model for Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. This looks so cool. Where is it? This is the newest version of the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror drop tower ride in Disney's California Adventure. Their version of the Tower of Terror was rethemed in 2017 as the first phase of a first-ever Marvel Land. I think my friend Rocket has something that can help us. Uh, what have they done now? Oh, where could he be? Rocket, where is that
2: raccoon? Hey, Archimedes! Hey, I can explain about the audio-animatronic parts in the hole. They're for research. And not at all because I want to keep them. Though I kind of do. Rocket Raccoon? I am not
1: a launcher raccoon. I'm not here about any missing animatronics. Though, since you brought it up... Oh, good. I mean, missing? Who
2: said missing? I had them when we landed. And if I had stolen any robot arms and legs or anything, I mean, borrowed. Who the popples? Are these guys? Um, puppies? Did I say puppies?
4: You definitely said
2: puppies. Zero tanking. Ratings chip. The Imagineers decided I wasn't family friendly enough for their park, so they linked a cum ratings chip into my cybernetics. Now, every time I say a word I'm not supposed to say, the chip inserts a nicer word instead. But it seems to be
4: saying just random things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I may have tried to bypass it. That was probably unwise, but I'm sure the Imagineers will fix it right up. In the meantime, meet our guests, Shantae and Perry. I've been giving them a grand tour.
4: We're really excited for the new Guardians of the Galaxy attraction.
1: Yeah, well, the attraction isn't done yet.
2: Another of Star-Lord's brilliant ideas. They're making an attraction on us back home, he says. We can help build it, he says. They'll pay us, he says. Now the mulatto's up on blocks, but they need to see how it works, he says. My sweet Aunt Petunia. They need to see how it works. You have
4: an Aunt Petunia too?
0: Stupid ratings, Chip. While Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout is a retheming of a classic attraction, we wanted to take this time to not really go into the detail of the ride as Joe didn't build the original attraction, but we wanted to take a moment to take a deeper look at what he
3: was able to do for the fan community. At the time when Mission Breakout was announced, no one could fathom a retheming of the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, so Walt Disney Imagineering turned to one of their most famous Imagineers, Joe Rohde, to help calm the fanbase down. While the fanbase was scared and confused as to the retheming, it was Joe who reassured us and once that happened, the fanbase kept an open mind. And we now have the foundation of what is to become the larger Avengers campus at Disney's California Adventure.
0: I'll be honest, I was one of those Disney purists that was upset that Tower of Terror was changing to Guardians of the Galaxy for two reasons. First, it's a classic Disney attraction, and I hate changing classics. We could get into a whole thing about how little I like change, but we'll do that another time. And second, they announced the overlay without giving the overall plan. So it left the fan community speculating on if this would be the cornerstone of a new Marvel Land or what. Later, we found out that this would be part of the new Avengers Campus. And I'm not as upset, but personally, I still don't think that Guardians fits into the overall theme. But I'll give them credit, though. I've watched the POV ride videos, and it looks amazing. But to me, it still sticks out.
3: I think this shows the level of trust that Disney had in Joe Rohde, him in charge of this project, too. Again, I'm with you, and it's not just the two of us. There's a large percentage of people that don't like to see the classics changed. So Disney knew that when they were changing up Tower of Terror, there might be a little bit of pushback. But putting Joe Rohde at the head of that and having him come out and say, like, guys, I got this, it really put a calming sense uh, across the community there and people... You said it earlier, trust in Joe, right? And this is one where I haven't ridden it yet, but by all accounts and videos I've seen, pictures I've seen, I mean, they knocked this one out of the park too. It's change, it's different, but what we have seems to be an incredible experience.
0: Yeah, I agree. And there are, in my opinion, probably only two, maybe three Imagineers that I would say if there's a refurb like this, that you put on, and one is retired. <laughs> so it's like Joe and Tony Baxter, they like, come out and say, Oh, we've got this. And you kind of take a step back and you're like, Oh, okay.
4: Phew, we are still here. That walking, talking raccoon came out of nowhere. And then the boom came, and I thought he blew us all
1: up. Well, Rocket does have a penchant for blowing things up, but it's all part of the show. But let me introduce you to a legend of an even more mischievous little fellow from the Hawaiian Islands, and what they helped Joe do.
4: Aww, this sculpture is so cute.
1: What is it? This is a menahune, and they are a mythological dwarf people in Hawaiian tradition who are said to live in the deep forests and hidden valleys of the Hawaiian Islands, hidden and far away from human settlements. The Menehune are described as superb craftspeople. They built temples, fish ponds, roads, canoes, and houses. Press the button to find out how they influenced Aulani, a Disney Resort and Spa.
3: Aulani is located amongst the numerous beaches of the Koalina Resort and Marina. It's a popular vacation destination because of its white sandy beaches, premium snorkeling, and great shopping. Also, the world-class marina delivers the ultimate in sports fishing and recreational boating. Disney characters, including Mickey and Minnie Mouse, are seen at the resort. However, unlike
0: at theme parks where they act as hosts, at Aulani, they are presented as fellow guests. They are vacationing along with you. Disney unveiled the resort's name in January 2010. The project was estimated to cost $800 million and eventually generate about 1,000 jobs at the resort and have 800 units. Walt Disney Imagineers worked hand-in-hand with locals to create Alani, a place celebrating Hawaiian history, culture, and artwork. Because Hawaiians layer rich meaning in their words, the name Aulani has more than one meaning. It is the messenger of a chief, yet it is also the one who delivers a message from a higher authority. To that end, Alani tells the epic story of Hawaii through every brushstroke, beam, and sculpture. Everything from the loving artistic details to the breathtaking resort architecture honors that fundamental connection Between nature and humanity that the Hawaiian people have cherished since the beginning of time. This
3: is Aulani. Joe grew up above Waikiki in Hawaii and was the creative lead on the Aulani project. After finding out that Disney had finally decided to open the resort in Hawaii, he knew and so did Disney that he was the man for the job. According to Joe, the public views Hawaii as a laid-back set of islands filled with surfers containing no history. Having grown up on Oahu, He knew that was not true. Hawaii is a place filled with wonder and tradition. That's what Aulani brings to the table. Disney created a cultural advisory board to make sure that proper respect was being shown to the culture of the island. The board worked hand-in-hand with Joe to design the resort. This cultural advisory board was made up of local community leaders, hula masters, Hawaiian artists, and Hawaii cultural experts. The experts were responsible for making sure that the real Hawaiian names were being used for the resort attractions, and that the tiki torch was not a symbol in the resort, as it is not native to Hawaii as some would believe, but rather other Polynesian islands. Instead, all of the lighting fixtures revolve around the kukui nut that traditionally was burned on the islands of Hawaii as their choice fuel. I think Aulani is the perfect example to show the care that Joe puts not only into the work that he does, but the people that he does that work for. For example, when building Aulani, they kept things as authentic as possible so that they could respect the native culture and the people of Hawaii. And as a result, that gives a more immersive and more real and more cultural experience to the guests that are visiting.
0: You know, we've said over and over again on this episode, trust in Joe, that we know that he will do right by the properties that go in the parks. Will this was an opportunity for Joe to do right by his people and to do right by his heritage and his culture. Being a Hawaiian, this meant even more to him. This was almost spiritual to Joe. And for the Disney company to have him pegged as the Imagineer that was going to lead this project and then him come to them before they even went to him, just shows how they were on the same page on this. And... I really think that with Joe's influence and with the establishment of the cultural council to help make sure that Aulani was as Hawaiian as possible really
3: takes trust in Joe to an entirely different level. As mentioned before, it makes the experience a lot more real for the guests. Having visited Aulani before, as you go and you look around, as with any Disney property, make sure you're looking up, make sure you're looking around at all the details Everything in there is designed to help you understand Hawaiian culture more and more, whether it's artwork that's around there or whether they have like Hawaiian words there for you to practice using or the staff members there are also native to Hawaii. Yeah,
0: so I've never been there, but I know you've been there before and I can't wait to go to Aulani, but it just seems like the perfect representation of the Hawaiian culture.
4: I so want to go to Hawaii now. I want to be immersed in Alani, and I want to find more Menahuni.
2: Hey, Archimedes! Is this what I think it is? It
1: is! It is what I think it is! Hey, come on! Perry, no! You can't go that way! It's not quite finished! What is it? Well, that is the entrance of the Adventurers Club, which Joe helped design. But it is also a portal to the adventures that Brian and Stokes went on in Season 1, through their journey into the world of the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Oh, I would love to have joined them on their journey. Well, you can join them anytime you want. But I am very excited to hear
3: that you are ready to go on another adventure. So we decided to choose Joe as an Imagineering Legend because he represents blank to us.
0: The word that I chose was visionary, and we've said it over and over again, trust in Joe. Well, with Joe's immense imagination, starting all the way back with the Adventurers Club and even projects before then, it really shows just how imaginative and how visionary this gentleman is. And when you hear of a Joe Rody project, you automatically want to know more about it. You wanna know all of the details because the details are so much deeper than just surface level. Take the tree of life for example, with the story that we shared with him from his recount earlier this year, everything has a deeper meaning to Joe and therefore everything should have a deeper meaning to us. It's not just a theme park, it's not just a resort, it's a vision and it's his vision for how he wants to show the world to us
3: and how he wants the world to look to future generations. Yeah, you're right. There is something about a project having Joe Rody's name attached to it that just brings excitement because when you see him attached to a project, you know that you're only going to be getting the best and the top quality.
0: Absolutely. And I think he's this generation's Tony Baxter. And I know he learned from Tony and Tony's one of our favorites. And Joe is, I believe, our current favorite Imagineer. And like you said, when you see his name attached to it, You're just excited for it. So Stokes, what
3: word did you use to describe Joe? The word that I chose is storyteller. And I've been saying it this entire time. It comes down to the type of immersion that you feel whenever you're walking through one of his parks, one of his lands, or you're experiencing one of the attractions that he worked on. Every detail has been thought out and every detail really goes beyond what you might even see if you've ridden or you've walked through that area a hundred times and i think again it just really points to the type of care that he puts into these projects he's willing to take however many trips out to asia just to make sure that he gets every detail of the culture and the look and the feel right for expedition evers again he's willing to put together this council to make sure that alani is as authentic as possible for the locals and for the guests again As a storyteller, that detail really helps bring that story to life for the people.
0: With his level of storytelling, something that it actually just triggered for me, Walt Disney used to say that when he was done with a project, it was dead to him. With Joe, that's not the case. He still wants to continue to tell the story. So if you follow him on Instagram, if you follow him on Twitter, he is in Disney's Animal Kingdom on a very regular basis. We've not been lucky enough to see him. But he is always there looking to see how he can plus it up or how he can make it better, how he can continue the storytelling to continue spreading the message of conservation. And I think that is absolutely amazing and really a
3: testament to who he is as a storyteller and as a visionary. It really is. And again, that just shows the care that he puts into it. And anybody that has been lucky enough to talk to him, I've only been able to see him on TV, but he seems like one of those people that you could sit there and listen to For hours, for days even. He's just such an engaging person. And again, that comes down to how much he cares and how much he really puts of himself into these projects. You've been listening to The Main Street Chronicles, part of the Imagination Radio Network and a BRS production.